Welcome to the Harrison Faith Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor Brian Herring. It's our prayer. This message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. The title of my message is, what do you, Don't Be Confused by God's Silence, <laughs> ironically. Uh, no, I was really just thinking, I, I was praying, and um, in fact, as I was praying in the series before I start a new series next week, um, I just thought, what do you do when you feel like God is silent? What do you do when you just don't feel like you have an answer? You've prayed and prayed, and the answer doesn't come. You've prayed and believed. In fact, what, you, what, what do you do when there's nothing you can do? What do you do when there's no good way out? What do you do when you've prayed a thousand prayers and nothing changes? What do you do when you have all questions but no answers? What do you do when you have options but there's no good ones? You could run. You can leave, you can quit, but there's no great options. What do you do when you've come to the end of everything that you could do on your own and it's still nothing's changing? Everyone seems to have what you've been looking for. Everybody seems to have the job you want, the health you want, the opportunities uh, that you were supposed to have, and everybody else keeps advancing and you're still back thinking, what about me, God? <laughs> I've been faithful. What do, you, what do you do when you've tried everything you could do and everyone else seems to get relationships, everyone else seems to get what they want, and you begin to think that you're never going to be happy again, you're never going to be content, God's never going to answer your prayer. Today, what I want to do is I want to confront the primary emotion about what you face and the things that you deal with when you feel like you're at the end of your rope and God is silent and you're confused because you thought you'd have an answer by now. Listen, let me just say this right here. God is not angry with you, and God is not unconcerned about you. I think that's where we get. In fact, I've, I've been there. I've been there where God, is there any sin in my life? Have I, have I messed up somehow? Have I, have, have I lost your trust somehow? Have I, have I frustrated you? And, and, and to the point where I just come and... I just find a place to pray, and I, I, I say, God, I weep it out, I cry it out, I, I put my whole life on the matter of it, and I just say, God, surely there's something better than this. If this is all there is, is this the best it's going to get, then, then God, why even try? Understanding this battle is so much to the importance of what God has for you. Understanding that you're just going through right now. And the Old Testament and the New Testament is filled with stories of places where God, some of most God's favorite people, some of his favorite prophets, went through very uncertain times, very difficult times, without an answer, where it seemed like God had either abandoned them or forgotten them. And if God can do that, then where are we in, in the middle of all this? And so, uh, but we find out the truth is most of the time when you read the story, there's a, there's a, there is a happy end sometimes, and that, that wasn't the case. God didn't forget anybody. God didn't abandon anybody. And so today, when we're in Matthew chapter 11, we find that Jesus is somewhere in Galilee, and he had just finished giving his disciples specific instructions uh, of how to go around doing ministry. And he tells them what to do, how he wants them to do it, and he heads out uh, to do some ministry himself. And as he does, he's confronted with some of John's disciples. And the, the disciples come to him and they say, basically, John is sent us and he wants to know, are you the Messiah or should we go looking for someone else? So in Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 2, it says, John the Baptist, who was in prison, 
heard about all the things the Messiah was doing, so he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? If you know the backstory about what happens here, uh, John the Baptist is in prison. John was uh, in jail by the king. Uh, Herod Antiochus, uh, the son of Herod who was at the birth of Jesus, basically had married his brother's wife, Herodias, and had taken her as his own wife, which was also his niece, his sister's daughter. And John went around preaching about what a, a bad thing this was, and it infuriated not only Herod, but Herodias. And Herodias got tired of it, and she talked to Herod and said, I want you to have John arrested. She says this in Mark chapter 6, verse 17. So he's arrested and taken to Herod's palace uh, in Marcus. And John, of all people, is one of Jesus' favorite people. John announced the birth, uh, was at the birth, whenever he was still in the womb. He was, he was one of the ones that, that they talked about. John was there when he was announced into ministry, when he said, behold, the Lamb of God. I mean, can you just imagine? Here's John, he's baptizing in the river Jordan, and Jesus is walking along the, the way, and he's coming up, and John looks up and sees Jesus and says, behold, the Lamb of God, which has come to take away the sin of the world. It's a powerful moment. John announces him as who he really is. Uh, they uh, were related by mothers and their friends. They grew up together. And Jesus actually calls John the greatest who had ever lived. Ma Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, it says, I tell you the truth, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. No one is more important than John the Baptist. So when Jesus heard that John was in prison, what do you think he would do if he had the power to do it? If anything, you would think, well, surely he's going to break him out. I mean, later on, we see where Paul and Silas is in the prison, and they just start singing songs, and the jail opens, and the prison opens, and they begin to walk out. We talked about that last week. What do you do if you're Jesus, and you hear that your favorite person, the greatest in the whole world, is locked up in prison? Maybe he would send somebody out to go visit him. Maybe he would go visit him. Surely, of all things, Jesus would go at least to prison and jail and go have a few words and say, John, how you doing? How you holding up? Is everything okay? Are you going to make it? Maybe he would uh, uh, send some food his way. What would he do? You know what he did? He went the opposite direction. He went completely the opposite direction. The Bible says in verse 12, it goes on, it says, He left Judah and returned to Galilee, and he went first to Nazareth and left there and moved to Capernaum. He went in the opposite direction as far as he could at that time as possible. So John the Baptist is in a desert, in a dungeon, and Jesus is living on the lake 130 miles by land. I want you to show the picture of the desert. Just skip the map. Just go straight to the desert. Uh, skip through, yeah, just skip through that. Yeah. So John is basically on the back side of the desert, and, he, and, and he, he's, this is what he, he, where he's at. Somewhere up here was the jail. Go to the next picture. This is what John saw when he looked out his window. Nothing. Nothing but desert, nothing but loneliness, no life, nothing but death everywhere he looked. And where was Jesus. Show the next picture. Jesus was on the lake. Some of y'all were on the lake this past week. I'm just jealous, but I'm going there in June. That's fine. 
on the beach in Gulf Shores and Navarra. I'm just saying. Uh, go show the next picture. Here's what Jesus was looking at. Jesus is on the Sea of Galilee. He basically has a, a, a lake ministry. He's going out there. We've joked around several times. So many of you guys go to the lake during the summer. We thought about getting a barge and having a lake campus. Uh, the problem is we would argue and fight who was going to be the pastor that week at the lake campus. And so we decided amongst peace we wouldn't have one. But, and nobody would be here. Y'all would be in your boats out of the lake. So um, we'd opted not to do that So for now. What day, right, Caleb? <laughs> Morgan's all, I'll be that pastor. I'll be the one. I'll surrender. I'll, I, yeah. So here's the, here's the problem. John, every day he's looking up. For years he's out there. For years he's caught up and he's in the desert. And Jesus finds this out and he immediately heads out the opposite direction and goes to the lake. Uh, in fact, for over a year, John is in this desert prison. Over a year, nothing has gotten better for John. A year later uh, is when, when he finally he says, tell John, I'm the one. Tell him I'm the, about all the healings and tell him about everything I'm doing. For what? For everyone else. Here's the problem. This morning, I, as you're here and you're going through this, you're like, man, Pastor Brian, I'm feeling anxiety as you're just beginning to talk about all of the situations because that's me. I feel like I'm at the end of my rope. I feel like everybody else is getting healed. I feel like everybody else is getting a job. I feel like everybody else is getting their prayers answered. And here I am. Nothing's getting better. I'm looking. It feels like desert. It feels like death. It feels like nothing's getting better. And I feel like the more I pray, the further he moves away from me. And when I ask him, Jesus, are you the one? What I hear back is this, is that, yeah, tell him what, I, tell, tell old Brian what I'm doing for everybody else so he'll know that I'm God. I don't care what you're doing for anybody else. I want to know what you're doing for me. I want to know when you're going to bail me out of this situation. I want to know when you're going to fix my job, fix my home, fix my house, fix my family. When are you going to do it for me? When are you going to stop talking about everything that else that's going for everybody else and reach out and meet me where I am right in the middle of all these problems? Then Jesus says the very strange thing in the very next verse. And this is for some of you that are going through something right now. You're in the middle of a, of a desert place. You're in the middle of a problem. And you're waiting in the, the, your, this place. And you're saying, hey, and Lord, I'm just praying to get out of this. Matthew chapter 11, verse 6. He added this. He says this. He says, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. King James says, turn away. Whether you're turning away or fall away, blessed are those who don't leave the faith, who don't turn away because of me. There will be times when God doesn't make sense. There's going to be times when you pray and it seems like nothing gets better. There's going to be times where you prayed and prayed and prayed and the answer doesn't come. And this is basically what he's saying. Go ahead and put that up. Happy is a, the person who maintains faith anyway and who believes and trusts anyway. It's easy to believe and trust God when you're in revival. It's easy to believe and trust God when everything's working out. But when it seems like it's not, sometimes it's hard to lean heavy and trust on God and be happy. Blessed 
is the one who does not give up because of God's silence. Sometime later, Jesus is at the very spot where John was baptizing. He's at the very spot where John is baptizing and where... Uh, and, and, and somebody comes running up to him and he says, Jesus, you're, you're, the one you love is sick. And immediately Jesus knew who that was because he knew it was Lazarus because Lazarus was his friend, his buddy. Jesus is the one he cared about. He knew this. And so immediately he, he, he knew what was going on. They're close. In fact, they go to each other's house. Uh, so Jesus' reaction is a lot whenever you're reading uh, this. In John chapter 11, verse 5 through 6, it says, so although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next few days. <laughs> Jesus, you don't understand. He's sick. You have the power. You have the authority. You have the ability to step in. We've seen you do it. We've seen you heal the sick. We've seen you heal the leopard. We've seen you heal the woman with just, when she came just to touch the hem of your garment. When someone you love is sick, why would you not come? Why would you not intervene at this point? Some of us, we've been at that prayer. Have you ever been to the place where you prayed? It seemed like you're about to lose everything you have and you pray the prayer of desperation. And everything doesn't get louder. The Spirit of God doesn't break forth. You hear nothing. It's tough. Some of you right now, I really believe with all my heart that you are in a very dry spot. In fact, you came to church this morning and last week, and you're like, God, you got to intervene. You got to do something. If something doesn't change, if something doesn't get better, then, then I'm going to lose it all. I'm going to lose my family, I'm going to lose my job, I'm going to lose my money. I put all my hope, all my trust in these things, and they're all about to fall apart. God, if you don't do something, what am I going to do? Here's what my, here's what my, my statement is to you. Don't confuse God's silence with not caring. God is not angry with you, and God is not unconcerned about you. During these times, there are three lies we believe. And if you want to take notes, you can take notes here. There are three lies we're tempted to believe in these times. Number one, I'll never be happy again. This is the lie that steals our joy. When you convince yourself you're never going to be happy, you lose joy. You're no longer happy. You're, you're wanting joy. You're wanting God to refill it. But, but something happens because you've already convinced yourself you can't be happy because God hasn't answered the prayer. God didn't show up, so you're going to lose everything. So you're just going to be miserable. And you live in the depression. You lose your joy all because you get to this place where you've given up. The second lie we believe is nothing good can come from this. He says he'll work everything to the good, but it doesn't feel like good. He says he'll work everything towards the good, but this feels bad. In fact, it, as far as the Richter scale, it doesn't get any better. And the problem with this lie is it takes our hope. It causes us to become hopeless. It causes us to pull back and says, I have nowhere else to turn to, nowhere else to go. I'm absolutely hopeless. The third lie we, that we tend to believe is there's no point in continuing. Why even try? This lie loses our purpose. No joy, no hope, no purpose. 
Let me assure you today, you have not been abandoned or forgotten by God. Your circumstances are just that. They're just circumstances. They're just circumstances. They are not proof of the presence of God or the absence of God. They're just circumstances. When you are tempted to grab hold of one of those lies, here's what I want you to tell yourself. I can be happy. I want you to begin to tell yourself something good can come from this. I want you to begin to tell you there's purpose in the pain. I want you to know that God is not finished just because it feels silent in the moment. I believe as we close today that some of you are so in need of this message today. And for some of you, you'll need it someday. Maybe you don't need it today, but you'll need it someday. But it's in times like this that we all need to be reminded that God still holds the whole world in his hands. In fact, he holds your world in his hands. Don't stay confused by God's silence. Begin to trust him. Begin to say, God, even though I can't hear you, I'm going to trust you. Even though I can't see the next step, I'm going to trust you. Even though I've relapsed, I'm going to trust you. Even though I thought I've gotten past this, I'm going to trust you. Even though I keep messing up, I'm going to trust you. Even though it seems like I'm never, it's never going to get any better, my marriage isn't going to get any better, nothing's going to get better, I'm going to trust you through this situation. Here's what I believe. The best, one of the best sermons I heard at this church all year long was when Pastor Aaron said this. It's just the season and season changes. It's just the season and seasons change. You are in a season of your life where you feel like you're in the battle of your soul. You are battling for the very spirit of who you are. And I'm telling you, in the midst of trials, in the midst of some of the most difficult times in your life, there's still hope. There is still a God who loves you and cares about you and is where you are right now. Don't lose hope. Just because he's silenced for the moment, don't lose hope. You've heard it said, I didn't come up with it, that the teacher's always silent during the test. It's just a test. It's just a moment. But I believe if you hold on, God's going to turn things around. Some of you need healing in your family. Some of you need healing in your body. Some of you need God to intervene in situations in your life. Some of you are just fighting spiritual battles that the enemy's coming in, and you're like, I can't even control it. I feel so depressed. I feel so oppressed. And you're just praying. You're needing God to, to, to clear the dark skies. I'm believing he can do that. We serve a great God. Everything will turn around if we don't lose hope, if we don't give up. Sometimes we stop so short just at the finish line. Everybody's standing in this place. If you're in this place, and you're struggling, 
you've just about given up. You've just about come to the place where you said, I'm done. I don't know where else to go. I, I've tried everything. I feel so hopeless. I feel so empty. I feel so dry. I just feel like if God doesn't do something, man, it's over for me. There's hope. There's hope. There's something powerful. I believe that for some of you, you need to take a stand. You've convinced yourself you've tried a lot of things. So I'm going to ask you to try one more thing. I'm going to ask you to step out of your pew and make your way to an old-fashioned altar, either front or just kneeling up here by the platform. And I'm just going to ask you to surrender to God. You've tried everything else, why not try this? The woman with the issue of blood said that she had tried many physicians, and yet she grew worse. But when she heard about Jesus passing through, she thought to herself, she thought, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I know I'll be whole. And so she began to make her way through a crowd, though it was forbidden, though she shouldn't have touched anybody, though she was unclean, she began to push her way, make her way all the way to the front so she could get to the very hem of his garment. And instantly, we know this because Jesus tells us that power and virtue flow through him into her. Some of you just need to be willing. You don't even have to push through the crowd today. You just need to have the boldness to step out of your pew, make your way to the front, and surrender to God. Say, God, here am I. I'm giving it all to you today. I've tried everything else. Lord, you are a way maker. Today I'm trusting in you. I'm going to pray over you and then I'm going to invite you to come. And when I invite you to come, if God is speaking to you today, don't hesitate. Don't wait. Don't pause. Just begin to make your way to the front. Father, I pray right now for everybody in this place. Father, you're a great God. Lord, though this this message is short. I know it. Lord, Lord, though this message is simple, Lord, I wanted it to be. Today, I believe that hearts are being challenged right now. Because, God, they're feeling hopeless. They're feeling hurt. They're hurt. They're hungry. And, God, they need you to intervene on their behalf. If you don't intervene, there's no hope. There's no plan B. There's nothing else. Lord, there's only you. So today, God, I'm believing that as you've been tugging on heartstrings all through this message, as you've been pulling on people today, God, as they begin to make their way to the front, instantly they're going to begin to feel such a freedom. God, as they put down their yoke on you and take up your yoke, which is easy. We give it all to you in Jesus' name. These altars are open right now. Don't pause. Don't think about it. Come. Don't. Don't wait. Just begin to make your way. Some are already making their way. Don't pause. Don't wait. Just make your way right now. Right now. There's so much right now. Some of you, you and your spouse are fighting. You've been going through day after day. You don't know if it's going to make it. Just begin to take it by the hand. Come together. Begin to come together as a family. Begin to walk up the front. Whatever you need to do, make your way.
Some of you are ready. You're right on the preface. I'm telling you, just begin to make your way. Don't, don't pause. You don't have to go through today the way it's been the last month. It doesn't have to continue. You can start today, right now. I'm going to ask the worship team just to begin to sing, and I'm going to wait a little longer. I'm going to come back up here, but I'm going to give you an opportunity. And prayer team, you can go ahead and make your way up here. There's already people praying with people down here. As you come, you won't be by yourself. These altars are open. Find your way right now.